Welcome into Inside the Pylon, the Quick Kicks podcast for Monday, January 25th. Chuck Zod and Mark Schofield here, but we also have a special guest today joined by Dave Archibald from Inside the Pylon as well. Today we're breaking down the AFC Championship game, the Denver Broncos actually advancing on to the Super Bowl. They will be your AFC representative for the game. Before I welcome in Dave, I'd like to welcome in my co-host as always, Mark Schofield. Mark, how are you? I'm doing well, my friend. It was a very entertaining AFC Championship game. Looking forward to talking about it a little bit. Defensive struggle, to say the least. And Dave, I want to welcome you in as well. And uh, we were chatting about this a little bit in the, uh, you know, kind of in the pre-show, trying to get a sense for what was going on here. And this, I think, more than anything else, you know, you talk about just the yardage and just the flow of the game. It was really a defensive battle here, Dave, yeah? Oh, for sure. I I think, um, to me, the story was that coming into the game, it seemed like Denver's defense had fallen off a little bit from where it was early in the year. Uh, Chris Harris's injury really affected them, and they're back, and they're back big. They really made the Patriots' offense look bad at times in this game. Let's talk about Chris Harris a little bit here, because he's a guy that there was a lot of talk going into this game about a potential injury and how that might impact him. But arguably, one of the biggest plays of the game here was the fourth down play where he ended up tackling, uh, I believe it was Julian Edelman, on that fourth down play in the fourth quarter with about five minutes left to uh, stop the Patriots heading towards uh, you know a potential uh, first down and maybe uh, scoring there. What did you see on that play? This was a play call that I think a lot of people uh, – had a lot of different opinions about the play obviously was going to be it was a play action run to the right side and then came back to Edelman on the left kind of floated a pass there what did you see on this play Dave well the Patriots had struggled to move the ball with kind of conventional offense all night and so on fourth and it was a long one uh McDan- uh Patriots offensive coordinator Josh McDaniels turned to kind of a gimmick, as you said, the uh, play action and then throw back to the left and hoping that Denver's defense would bite on the play action and vacate their uh, zones. And Harris stayed at home, and he made a strong tackle on Edelman. It looked like there was a little bit of uh, their backside pursuit. I think it was DeMarcus Ware got in Brady's face and affected the throw a little bit. Probably made him put a little more arc on it than he wanted to and that let Harris close on Edelman quickly. Mark, we had also been talking during the game and it seemed also that throughout much of the game, the battles that were being won here, while it was scheme oriented to a point, it seemed like Denver was winning a lot of the one-on-one battles as well. Can you talk a little bit about what you saw here and what you thought some of the critical, I guess, critical reasons for the Denver win were? Well, I mean, I think it begins with Wade Phillips and that defense. I mean, we just talked about that one fourth down play, but it starts sort of with the edge rushers, Vaughn Miller and Demarcus Ware. I mean, they were in Brady's face all game long. I've, I've seen two different stats on it. You know, the most Brady has been hit in a game up until tonight was 12 times in one game, and it was either 20 or 23 just in this one game alone. And that's a lot of pressure. And going into this game, and we've talked a lot about this year, both about New England and other teams, you know, protection and protecting the quarterback is so essential. And last week against Kansas City, Brady was getting the ball out quickly, but 
the pressure t- tonight was such that Brady couldn't even get set on a three-step drop, which is almost unheard of. Um, that's how great the pressure was. And there were a number of ways that you know Denver generated pressure. They were winning one-on-one battles on the edges. New England on the road, they're trying to go to a silent count. You really can't vary the silent count too much. Uh, so Vaughn Miller, for one, was definitely getting a great jump off the edge, you know, working up against Marcus Cannon at times and was just, you know, beating him off the snap. That was one thing that, you know, played a big role in it. Another thing I think was it looked to me like New England's game plan a lot was focused on getting James White in space against linebackers. But the problem was it looks like Brandon Bolden, I think, if you go back to last year in the Super Bowl, he's their best pass block at running back. I think he played a big role in that game for New England down the stretch against Seattle. But then you're forced with you've got a game plan that's based around one running back. Do you really switch things up and bring in a different guy to help chip on the edge rushers? They didn't do a lot of that. And that played a role, I think, as well. Mark, talk to me a little bit. Uh, just, you know, we hear the term silent count a lot. And I think a lot of fans just first and foremost don't understand how that works. How does a silent count actually function if you're trying to use it in a hostile road scenario? Well, basically what you're trying to do is you can't, you know, you can't, when you talk about cannons, you can't go just on two or on three or whatever, because sometimes guys just can't hear the snap count because the stadium's so loud. I mean, if you saw before that game kicked off, Denver was setting up to kick and you saw that that stadium was up to like 130, 140 decibels. That's insanely loud. So you literally cannot hear, even tackles can't hear the quarterback calling the signals. So teams use a snap count where such as New England does it, the guard, in this case the right guard, looks back, gets a nod or an indication from Brady that he can, he's ready for the snap. He'll tap the center, Stork, and Snork at that point will give it, you know, a counter or two in his head and snap the football. It's not like Brady's going to get out there and say, all right, guys, we're going to go on two or on three, let's say, and he'll just give you a hard count on two where it's a hot, 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 hot and snap it on the third one. So he can't do that. You can't really vary it up too much, which allows edge rushers. They're watching the ball. They see the ball move, and the offensive players kind of react to the movement of the foot of the play. So it gives defenders an advantage in these situations. Dave, when, when we talk about what we, uh, what we saw here today from a scheme perspective in the Denver secondary, a lot of talk in the first half, at least, that Denver typically plays a lot of man, came out in a lot of zone. Do you think that's something that factored into disrupting the timing of the New England offense here? It definitely seemed like there were times where Brady was a little confused with what he was seeing or not trusting what he was seeing. Obviously, the interception by Von Miller. Miller, obviously a great pass rusher. He drops into a zone, and Brady appeared to never see him. I saw other plays where it looked like the Patriots were trying to rub those pick, uh, run those pick or rub routes, which is a common man-to-man beater, and the Broncos' uh, defensive backs were switching who had who um, and uh, really keeping those guys from getting open. So it seemed like it, the Patriots never really got a handle on what Denver's secondary was doing, uh, or if they did, it, it didn't really matter because of the pass rush. Yeah, and that pass rush, and Mark, I want to bring you in on this because obviously you were a quarterback in college, and traditionally the logic with Tom Brady has been you pressure him up the middle, you prevent him from stepping up in the pocket, and that's the toughest thing for him to deal with. But what we saw here was just an edge rush that was so quick and so effective that he didn't even have time to step up. It was just edge rushers that were on him 
before he was even able to make a decision or make a read. Yeah, and even when he did get a chance to step up, sometimes guys like Derek Wolf were in his face, so it wasn't like he really had a clean throwing lane to step into. And sometimes when he stepped up, those edge rushers, Ware and Miller, are so fast that they could still bend and run the loop and get, you know, get to his arm. And even if they didn't get home, you know, force throws that were off the mark, or even force Brady into making quicker throws than he wanted to. I mean. We saw a lot of throws from Tom Brady that were off the mark, and that's also due to pressure, disruption, production. When you can pressure a quarterback into making quicker reads and making quicker decisions and he starts feeling ghosts in the pocket, you're going to force him off his game. Dave, how badly do you think the lack of a New England running game contributed to this? Not so much in the fact that uh, New England couldn't pick up rushing yards, but the fact that those ends were pretty much free to get up the field just because they knew that the Denver defense would be able to stop a run without them in any case. Yeah, I, I think that had to be a factor that the ends could just tee off on the passing game. I also think it put a lot of pressure on Brady. Uh, you saw in that third down interception that he threw before the half, it's third down. They haven't gotten anything going. He's trying to make a play, and he throws the ball he really shouldn't have. I think the fact that the Patriots really couldn't even attempt to move the ball on the ground, I mean, that puts a lot of pressure on the quarterback and the passing game to make plays there. And if that's working, it looks great. And if it's not working, they had no plan B. No, they they really didn't, and it, it was, I think, from my perspective, kind of a critical thing just that those ends were able to continue to get upfield and try to use speed moves against those tackles there, uh, and, and I think that was a key thing in this game that ended up tilting it in the favor of the Broncos. Another thing, and, and, and Mark, we, we probably have to touch on this, is the missed extra point from Steven Goskowski. I mean, that was a you know, you'll probably talk a little bit more about how that went down, but in terms of the flow of the game, I mean, it forced New England to go for a number of fourth downs, you know, late in that game, late in the fourth quarter, or even early in the fourth quarter, where they could have taken field goals. I mean, it got them kind of behind the numbers, so it played a role, it played a big role, and you can talk a little bit, I guess, about, you know, how Steven Gostowski, who's hit, what, 500 of these in a row, missed 501. Yeah, and, and I went back and I, I watched this kick a couple different times, and I had, I had said when it happened, it didn't seem similar to the Blair Walsh miss where it was because of a uh, you know miss, uh, missed plant or anything along those lines. This was a case where, and, and Mark, you're a golfer, and I know you're a pretty good golfer, actually, and, and what I saw out of this That's was... That's pretty generous, my friend, but okay, I'll take it. <laughs> You're you're better than I am. I'll give you that we'll much. We'll say. We'll say. So what I saw out of this kick more than anything else was a kicker that I think probably for one reason or another, whether it was adrenaline, nerves, and look, Stephen Goskowski is a phenomenal kicker. He is, in my opinion, uh, the best kicker in the league. I think the worst argument that you could probably make is that he is probably uh, the top two or three kickers in the league. So he is an outstanding kicker. But what he did here is he rushed his approach a little bit for one reason or another. And because of that, it's much like a golf swing. When your hips start to fly forward and your leg is kind of lagging behind, what happens is it, it kind of drags and you end up just pushing the ball off to uh, your right if you're a right-footed kicker, if you're a right-footed golfer. And, and that's exactly what we saw here is there was just a little bit of lag there and it didn't cause a slice necessarily, it just caused a push 
where everything was going out to the right. And, and unfortunately, and look, I, I kind of saw it right away. That ball never had a chance. It wasn't a case where you said, okay, it's good, and then it, it sliced. That ball was pushed right from the outset. And I think because of that, you talk about the, the chances that New England took in the second half then and then eventually having to go for two and missing it. And I think that was it was one of the critical points in the game. And I have I have no doubt that Steven Goskowski is one of the best kickers in the game in the world today. But unfortunately, just as we saw with another good kicker, Blair Walsh, about a week ago, look, good kickers occasionally end up with bad plays. Uh, that that are you know going to cost their team some games, and that's that's the nature of the beast. If you're a kicker, you have to deal with it. And Steven Goskowski, strong kid, good kid. He's been in the league for you know what 11, 12 years now. He'll bounce back. I don't have, have any doubt about it. He took it, uh, you know, like a champ after the game, standing up, taking questions, and taking the blame. And it's unfortunately, it's one of those things that you have to deal with as a kicker because if you kick in big games, you're eventually going to miss a big kick. It's unfortunate for the Patriots. It happened today. Can we talk for a little bit, though, about the Patriots' defense? I mean, that unit really stood tall in that second half. I mean, they did everything they could to keep New England in the game. Dave, what did you see from New England's defense tonight? Well, and really... I mean, you say the second half, it was really everything after the first drive of the game where Denver marched down the field and scored a touchdown and made it look easy. After that, the only score the Patriots allowed was that short field after the Von Miller interception. The uh, defense seemed like it adjusted and played more press man after that first drive. The running defense was excellent all day. I think C.J. Anderson had a 30-yard run late in the game, but... Other than that, they really uh, shut down that Gary Kubiak zone running scheme. They also had a lot of penetration on uh, play-action plays and got a bunch of long stacks that put the Denver offense in tough positions. So I, I think they, they really did their job on the day. Denver only scored three points in the second half. Yeah, and, and, and Dave, in particular, fr- from my perspective here, it, it seemed like the the key difference from the last game against Denver was that tandem of Jamie Collins and Dante Hightower being healthy. Obviously, the Denver uh, running game was very different once you saw some injuries to those key guys there. And certainly having them back and with their ability to shoot gaps as well as number of plays where uh, Hightower scraped down on the backside in order to make plays in that zone running scheme were pretty critical here. Yeah, those guys are so versatile, and we have both of them available. The offense never knows how each of them is going to be deployed and where they're going to come from, where penetration or shooting gap might come from. It's really disruptive to offenses. Yeah, and and look, we've got you know about a minute or two left here. I'll open it up to both of you. I'll go to to you, Dave, first. This this Denver team. When we talk about their ability in the Super Bowl. Is it wrong to say that they hinge on their defense just because the offense is still so inconsistent at this point? Oh, I don't, I don't think that's wrong at all. I mean, they're, uh, I, I think Peyton Manning looked better tonight, probably even better than he did last week. But the offensive line is still uh, pretty spotty, and uh, they uh, certainly have to be concerned about that group. Uh, this team will go as far as the defense takes them. 
Mark, looking at uh, this Denver team now, two weeks from now in San Francisco, talk about what they're able to do. Gary Kubiak, obviously not a guy who changes up his offense a ton. Uh, he's notorious for being a little bit more rigid, I think, than some other offensive coordinators out there. What do they try to do in order to compete in the Super Bowl here? Well, I mean, I think you'll start with that running game and try to get that zone running game going and then build play action off of that and do what they do in terms of the passing game, throw some time and routes. I think Peyton Manning looks great on time and routes, curl routes, throws to the boundary that aren't necessarily deep, working a couple of deep shots here and there. But like Dave said, it, it's going to rest on that defense, get Denver a couple of short fields. I mean, we're recording this during the NFC Championship game. Whichever team that, that Denver is going to face, um, they'll need to get some short fields for that offense, I think. Put them, you know, get ahead of the schedule on – you know, in the scorebook, and hopefully that that defense then force the other team to become one dimensional. I think that's their roadmap to win. You know, regardless of who they play. Yeah, it's it's definitely going to be, a, I think, a challenge on the offensive side for them. But good news, folks. Two weeks, we get to sit down for this game. Dave, Mark, appreciate both of you uh, joining us today. I know that our, our listeners certainly do as well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're going to uh we're going to be back tomorrow. We do have a wrap up of the NFC Championship game as well. This week we're also going to be covering a little bit from the uh the Senior Bowl down in Mobile, Alabama. We're also going to be uh digging into the ITP mock draft, talking a little bit about what we have coming up there. Make sure you stay on the ITP Quick Kicks podcast. We'll have that going on all week here. And then once uh we get past the Super Bowl, all draft time, but that's still a couple weeks away now. We'll be back tomorrow on Tuesday. Until then, we'll see you later.